Good afternoon, church. So as the day progresses, I say good morning, church, and they're kind of like, oh, good morning. But it gets You're supposed to be more awake. So let me try again. Good afternoon, church. There you go. Thank you, guys. Today we celebrate, as millions upon millions of other Christians throughout the world, we celebrate what is known as Palm Sunday. And I remember, as a little boy, I was, I was raised Catholic, and my family were, were CEOs of Catholicism. They go Christmas and Easter only. But we also would go on Palm Sunday. And I'd love to go on Palm Sunday because when we walked into service, they'd handed me this little palm leaf. And throughout the service, what I would do is make that little palm leaf into a cross, and I got really, really good at it. People were giving me their palms just so I could make them the cross in leaf. I was good. As a matter of fact, I would do two at a time, like with both hands, even while I was sitting and kneeling and standing up. That didn't stop me. I kept on going. And some of you know what I'm talking about, right? None of you did this if you were raised Catholic? No? Maybe? Okay. If you thought you were pretty good, if you did this, I was better. Trust me. So we celebrate what is known as Palm Sunday, but we also celebrate what we call Passion Week. This week is the last week that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, spent on this. This week, as we're going to read today, is known as the Triumphal Entry. Let me share some facts with you guys. We got four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you combine all the chapters in all of these four Gospels, you end up with 89 chapters. Four of those 89 chapters, you hear of Jesus' birth. Only four, all right? Of the remaining 85 chapters, you see the ministry of Jesus Christ. The three here on earth with the disciples. Tracking with me, I hope. Out of those 85 chapters, 29 of those chapters are just on Passion Week. A lot of chapters out of the four Gospels are focused on Passion Week. The Gospel of John, what we're going to be looking at today, has 21 chapters. 21. Beginning with chapter 12 all the way to chapter 21, John just focuses on this last week of Jesus Christ. Why am I sharing this with you? Because apparently, obviously, this week is important to God. The Holy Spirit inspired these men to write God's word down. So if it's important to God, it better be important to us. I think for a lot of us, we take this week like another week. We celebrate. Great. We should celebrate. But are we celebrating what we're supposed to be celebrating? Are we celebrating really the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So what I want us to do, not only today, but from here on out, is to prepare our hearts to truly understand the true meaning of the resurrection. To really understand what it means, the passion of Jesus Christ this week. So you have your Bibles with you. Go ahead and open up to John 12. We're going to 12 through 19 today. John chapter 12, the triumphal entry according to the Apostle John. 
before we jump in, I want to give us context. Please remember when you're reading your Bible, when you're studying your Bible, you need to understand the context. Context, context is so important. If you don't have the right context, you won't be able to interpret properly. So here is the overall context. John chapter 11, we read about this good friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus. He dies. And Lazarus has been in the grave, in the tomb for three days. Jesus shows up and says, Lazarus, come out. And he, thousands of people have witnessed a miracle above all miracles. A dead person has now been. Everybody is freaking out. Everybody starts talking about this miracle. It spreads like wildfire. And the Pharisees, of course, out about this and from that day forward they try to plot to kill jesus christ and here's what they say in john 7 verse 48 if we let him go on like this if we continue to let jesus go on doing all these great miracles preaching all these great sermons everyone believe in him and the romans will come and take away both our place and our nation See, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because to them, Jesus was a political threat. The Pharisees did not want to lose their power. And they didn't want Jesus to come and overtake the Roman Empire and overtake the religious power that these Pharisees had over their people. Sadly, many Jews also saw Jesus politically. They wanted Jesus, their Messiah, to come and save them politically. Look what they say in John chapter 11, verse 56. The Jews, they say this. They were looking for Jesus and saying to another as they stood in the temple. They were waiting for Jesus to arrive. Excuse me. They were waiting for Jesus to arrive there in the entry of Jerusalem by the temple. And what they said, they say this, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast of all, at all? Do you think he's going to show up? They were thinking to themselves, I hope he does, because we want him to come and do what we expect him to do. We expect him to save us. But not politically, I mean, not spiritually. They wanted political salvation. That's chapter 11. Chapter 12 then begins with Jesus now goes back six days later and goes to the city named Bethany. And he goes to Mary's house, Lazarus' sister. And Mary, when Jesus walks in, what Mary does is he gets this oil, expensive oil, and puts it on Jesus' feet. And she starts wiping his feet with her hair. And Judas says, what are you doing? That's so expensive. Do you know how much, how many poor people we could have fed if we sold that very expensive oil? And Jesus says this to him. He says, look, the poor, you will always have the poor with you. But I'm not going to be with you always. That is a sermon for another time. And this brings us to chapter 12, verse 12 of the Gospel of John. 
But before we jump in, this is what I want us to look at. This is how we're going to break down today's sermon. We're going to be looking at four different groups of people, all standing around with four different responses. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see disciples who understood, spectators who expect, curious who watch, and re religious who regulate. Four different groups of people all standing around waiting for Jesus to come in. And each of these people have a different response. Verse 12, chapter 12, Gospel of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. What day is this? This is the 10th day of Nisan. It is like our month of April. And on the 10th day, every single Jew was required to grab, to get an unblemished male lamb. And he, they were supposed to keep it for four days. And on the fourth day, they were supposed to sacrifice it as a feast, as a remembrance of the Passover. And what this signifies, this triumphal entry, as we're going to see as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it signifies that on this day, the perfect, ultimate, unblemished lamb, the sacrifice above all sacrifice, was coming in to give his life for many. This is a festival that all Jewish people were required to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice this unblemished lamb. So that's why it says, the next day the large crowd had come to the feast, her, the, to the feast heard that Jesus were coming to Jerusalem. So they heard that Jesus was coming, so thousands were gathered. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying. They were yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Picture that, yelling, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna literally, literally means give salvation now. They were yelling, give us salvation now. What they were doing is they were quoting, they were quoting a psalm written by David hundreds of years before. Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Again, they were shouting Hosanna because they wanted political salvation. They wanted Jesus to come into Jerusalem that day and overtake the Roman Empire. And now what we're going to see is John is going to quote a prophecy. Prophesied by Zechariah, a prophet, 500 years prior. This is what Zechariah writes in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is what they were doing. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is here. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a cult, the fowl of a donkey. And that's what we're going to see in the very next verse, verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And here's the quote. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Fear not, Jerusalem, is what he's saying. Behold, your king is coming. He's identifying Jesus as the king, sitting on a donkey's colt. And now we're going to get introduced four different kinds of people, hundreds of them, standing around, and as you are going to see, four different responses. 
The first group we see are disciples who understood. The disciples were there. And they understood. But notice, they didn't get it at first. Watch what it says in verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They didn't get it. They didn't fully understand why. They hadn't experienced the cross. They hadn't encountered the risen Christ. So they didn't get it. They didn't, hadn't received the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew this. That's why he says in, in verse 12 of chapter, chapter 16 of John, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. They didn't get it at this point. Like I said, when they saw the risen Christ, boy, did they get it. We read that their faith was encouraged. They went out and proclaimed the gospel. And the world was changed. That's the first group. Disciples. Disciples who understood. But we also had some spectators. Spectators who expected. Watch what it says in verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. The ones that had seen this miracle happen and had raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So picture this. They're there. They see this great miracle. And so now they run back to Jerusalem. And they're expecting Jesus to perform even a greater miracle. I repeat this because this is how they felt. They wanted to be saved politically. And so that's why we read as Jesus walked into Jerusalem or rode into Jerusalem, these Jewish people were shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us now. But the same people, when Jesus did not save them politically, were the same people that later were yelling, crucify him. Why? Because Jesus did not meet their expectations. Disciples, spectators, third group were just curious curious people just watching verse 18 the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that that they had heard they had heard what he had done about this miracle so many were there just as bystanders just watching waiting to see what was going to happen. I picture them with their iPhones just filming. What's going to happen? Texting La Gordiloca. It might come. You better come over here quick. He's going to overtake the empire or he's going to do something. But they weren't getting involved. They were just curious. They were being chismosos, just watching to see what would happen. The fourth type of person were the religious ones, the Pharisees, the religious who regulate, the religious who wanted to control. Again, or verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Look at all the followers. We're losing control. And because they were losing control, they wanted to kill Jesus. But not only Jesus, they also wanted to kill Lazarus. Watch what it says in Verse 9 of the same chapter, 
when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there at the house of Martha's house, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, to, to see, is he really alive, whom he had raised from the dead? So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Poor Lazarus, he had just died and they wanted to kill him again? Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The religious people who wanted to regulate were scared, were losing control. People are walking away from the Jewish religion, from the Jewish tradition, and they're believing him. They're following after him. He's got to be stopped. Four. Four different types of people. All standing around, but all expecting different things. There were the disciples who understood, the spectators who expect, there were the curious who were just there watching, and of course the religious Pharisees who wanted to have control always regulate. Hundreds standing around waiting for Jesus to go into Jerusalem. My question is where are you standing? Where are you standing today when it comes to Jesus Christ? Where do you stand? Are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? Do you truly understand, understand what it means to be a disciple? Not just seasons, not just in Christmas and in Easter, every single day. Do you stand being a true follower of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what that means? Jesus makes it very clear. Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, if anyone really wants to be a true follower of mine, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Why? For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Two things. That Jesus says marks a true follower of him. A true disciple. Two things. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. What does that mean? It's being humble. Putting God first always. Putting others' needs before yours. Being generous not only with your money but with your time. Serving others. Forgiving. Forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you loving one another as Jesus told us to, including your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Denying yourself means thinking of yourself less. Die to self. Live for Christ. That's what he's saying. First of all, deny yourself. And then he says, pick up your cross. And this is picking up the cross daily. There's suffering and picking up the cross. I love what I read. Look what it says. Taking up your cross daily means giving up of your hopes, dreams, and passions. If need be, if need be for the cause of Christ. It doesn't mean you have to give up for your hopes and your possessions and your passions and all these things. No, no. If need be, put God first every single day of your life. Give yourself up. Pick up your cross. What this signifies is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be given to you. Matthew 6.33. Pick up your cross. Again, it's a daily thing. 
It's suffering. When I first became a believer, I truly didn't understand what this meant. And I'll be honest, I failed. I failed quite a bit in truly following Jesus Christ. But when I became a believer, man, I was all gung-ho serving here at Grace Bible Church at the other campus. I was there every Sunday, greeting, ushering, everything. So I would tell God, you have me, you have this part of me, but don't touch this part. I'm not going to surrender my finances. No way. And that is what some of us do. We choose and pick things that we want to surrender to him. For me, I didn't want to let go of my God, little g, money. For me, I didn't truly understand what Jesus says where you can't serve two masters. But I remember one day I came and I went home and I prayed and I said, God, forgive me. I surrender. I surrender all. Did I suffer? Yes. But don't listen to the lie that's been taught out there. That once you become a Christian, everything is great. No. There is going to be suffering. Picking up a cross, as Jesus has required us to do, requires suffering. So where do you stand? Where do you stand right now when it comes to Jesus Christ? Are you a spectator who expects? What do I mean by that? There's so many followers of Jesus Christ that treat him as a genie in a bottle. We want God to do what we want God to do. We expect him to answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers. And when God is answering our prayers in the way we want to, oh, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? Praise you, God. But the moment, the moment he doesn't meet our expectations, we are the same people we just read about. We turn our backs and say, crucify him. And that's how we treat God. How do you stand before God today? Are you just following him when things are going well? Or are you following Christ as the psalmist says we ought to do? Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. The highs, the lows, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I love what one pastor said. He said this, listen, this is so true. We need to stop thinking that the Lord should alter his plan to fit our preferences. We do that. But it's not about us. It's all about him. We are here to glorify the king of kings. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Are you a true disciple? Are you a follower that just expects Jesus to do what you want him to do? Or maybe you're just here this morning curious, just watching, looking back, not knowing what this Jesus thing is all about. Maybe somebody invited you and you're here for the first time. And maybe that person, if you were invited, kept on inviting you and come on, come on. And finally you said, okay, I'll go. Maybe the reason you're here this morning is because you've seen a change in someone. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's a miracle. That person was a different person, and now they are here. I've seen a person come from death to life. If this is you this afternoon, let me say, been there, done that. Before I became a believer, my sister-in-law became a believer. 
And every year we'd see her in our annual family vacation. We'd get together. And one year she showed up and it wasn't her. I was like, what have you done with my sister-in-law? Totally different. She had joy. She was talking about Jesus. And I thought to myself, I want that. And no one can change my sister-in-law except for God. See, maybe you're here today like I was back then, thinking yourself that you are very religious. See, for me, I was like that fourth person we saw, like the Pharisee. For me, it was all about religion. Where do you stand today? Do you consider yourself religious? Because there's a big difference, church, between being religious and relationship with Jesus Christ. The Pharisees knew this. Again, they didn't want to lose control. I'm going to read this to you again. Verse 11, chapter 12. Because on account of him, because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, many of the Jews were going away. And what were they doing? What were they doing? It's up on the screen. And they were believing. It wasn't up on the screen. Sorry. My bad. Let's try it again. Let's read verse 11 of chapter 12 of John. Because on account of him, and I, well, you all better get it right, many of the Jews were going away and believing. Believing in Jesus Christ. Again, they were saying, you know what? This religious stuff, I, I don't get it. It doesn't seem right. But the preaching... What I'm seeing from Jesus Christ, I'm believing him. And so they were walking away from these religious traditions. Church, there's a big, big difference in knowing God with your head and knowing him with your heart. Again, there's a big, big difference between religion and relationship. I want to share with you some of the three major differences that I believe between a religion and a relationship. One of them is this. Religion. Religion emphasizes on the outward. Religion emphasizes on the outward. Jesus emphasizes on the inward. What religion looks at is your works. What Jesus looks at is your heart. Second thing, religion, I believe, puts up barriers. Jesus tears them down. Religion teaches you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to be holy enough before you come to God. Putting up all these barriers. Jesus says, come as you are, I will work in you and through you. Putting down barriers. And this is the most important difference, I believe, between a religion and a relationship. Religion says you must do. A relationship, Jesus says, it's been done for you. Church, when Jesus spoke his last breath on the cross, and he hung there, and he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. What does that mean? That if anyone puts their trust, if they believe in the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we believe in that, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. It is done. 
I want you to go back and read and reread Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 8, 8 through 10. Read those. It says this, we've been saved by grace. That's why we say every time we come in here, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to grace. It's a gift. Grace literally means unmerited, undeserved love. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit. But God, being merciful and loving, by grace we've been saved through faith. Faith, believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Not by works. We don't ever, can't ever merit our salvation. We can never be good enough. Enough. He has been good enough for us. It has been done. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Disciples who understand, spectators who expect, curious who watch, and the religious who regulate. Four different groups of people all standing around waiting for Jesus to go into Jerusalem. But there was also a donkey. One donkey. Not standing, but carrying. Look again at verse 4 of chapter 12. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, ju just as it is written. Why a donkey? Ever thought of that? Why a donkey? Let me share with you two reasons why a donkey. First of all, it was to fulfill the prophecy we just read. The king riding on a donkey's colt. First thing. The second thing is a king would normally, back then, go into the city in two ways. Either he ride on a donkey, as Jesus did here. A triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He rode on a donkey. That signified, when a king rode into a city on a donkey, it signified humility. It signified peace. And that's what Jesus did in his first triumphal entry. But there's a second. There's a second to come. Church, Jesus is coming back. A second triumphal entry. But he's not going to be riding a donkey. He's going to be riding a horse. And when a king rides or would ride into a city on a horse, it wasn't to offer peace. It was to wage war. When Christ comes back, he'll be riding a horse to wage war. John writes about it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 19, on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Second coming will be a different triumphal entry than the one we just read about right now. So I need to ask you again, church, where do you stand? Where do you stand today? Where do you stand with Christ? Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you understand what it means to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him every single day? Or are you one that's just expecting God to do the things you want God to do 
to things for you? Are you one that just praises him when things are going right? Or do you praise him every single day of your life? Where do you stand today? Are you just here checking things out? Not sure, not wanting to get involved? Or sadly, like a lot of us, do you consider yourself religious? Do you think that you could be good enough to merit salvation on your own? Where do you stand? I think a better question to ask, a question that you really need to pray about is not, yeah, where do you stand? But more importantly, how will you bow? How will you bow? See, when he comes back, we read that every knee will bow. Paul writes in Philippians 2, chapter 10, I mean, chapter 2, verse 11, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Glory to God the Father. Every knee, no matter where you're standing with Christ today, every knee will one day bow before him. How will you bow? Are you going to bow in and awe and thankfulness. But where will you bow? In fear, in shame, in regret. Remember this, church, this week. Where you stand with Him determines how you will bow before Him. Where you stand with Him right now, because He could return right now determine how you will bow before him will determine your eternity I pray that we are a church that truly understands what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ I pray that we are a church a grace Bible church family that not only understands the gospel but lives out the gospel that shares the gospel to others, that we deny ourselves, that we're selfless. We put other people before ours, our needs, that one day we all bow and praise and awe and glory and thankfulness. Let's pray. Father God, I do give you thanks and praise. Thank you for this reminder let me thank you for those of us that have heard this for the first time of what it means to be a true disciple of your son Jesus Christ so I pray father through the Holy Spirit that you work in every single one of us that we can truly become a follower of your son by heart by deed by words father I pray if anyone here has been misled of what it means to be a follower that they believe through some false teaching that Christianity is all happiness and no suffering. That Christianity is all about, I need to ask you for what I want. Father, that you show them in their hearts that that's not what it's about at all. That you reveal to them that always let your will be done, not ours. And Father, I pray for those here that are just 
checking things out. They don't truly understand the gospel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you regenerate their hearts. Change their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That they can accept the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, ultimately I also pray, like most of us, again, have been taught, if anybody here is depending on their works, on a religion to save them, that you show them the truth of your word. That no one comes to you, Father, except through Jesus Christ. That he is the truth and the life. Father, I pray that you reveal in their hearts the good news. That it's been done for them. It is a gift given freely to anyone who would believe. I pray these things in your son's name. God bless you, church. Love you guys.